0: I would invite you to turn to 1st Corinthians, 1st Corinthians chapter 2. Now, we have been in a series of of, of sermons throughout um, the book of Ephesians. And uh, we've come to a point that uh, we will be delving into the subject of family. That's what Paul is doing, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And um, pastor will be speaking next week instead of delving into that subject Uh, I thought I would take this Sunday and um, bring in a a, kind of a topic, but it's on this particular passage, a topic that we um, that have been introduced to us in this book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we have been uh, discussing the theology of the church. And uh, we found that it's very much The power of God at work in people's lives. And that's brought some questions to our mind maybe about the power of God. And uh, we want to answer some of those questions today with this particular passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or with wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Let's go to the word, Lord, in prayer. Father, we, we pray, Lord, that uh, among our church, that your power be demonstrated. As Paul has uh, stated here, Lord, we desire to see your power. We desire to see you at work. To give you glory and you honor. Lord, may we understand this passage. Understand what, uh, what it takes to, to see this power. To demonstrate this power. Lord, we thank you. It is a humbling thing to open up your word. It has already been read. It is a, it is a powerful tool. and Lord, as it is unleashed in our hearts today. I pray that it would work its work. that it would accomplish what you would desire it to accomplish. Lord, as we uh, turn our attention to you now, may you receive the worship of our heart. May you receive the honor, the glory. This is your word. May your word be exalted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is man's tendency to bring things down to a human level. It's mankind. It's, what we, it's kind of what we do. Paul mentions this in, um, in Romans chapter 1 when he's talking about, and then he's describing the sinful human, the sinful being, mankind. Well, they tend to suppress any evidence of God, suppress the truth of God, that we might see in nature, that we might see... Uh, in God's creation We tend to suppress it we tend to In doing so we deny God his glory and We deny God his power Now try to illustrate that. I mean we we do this we explain things away through science We see a, a lightning bolt now in the, uh, in the Middle Ages, it was a very superficial or superstitious time, and a, a lightning bolt in the Middle Ages, a storm in the Middle Ages, they would say, wow, you know, they would be impressed, and they would draw back in fear. But in our scientific age, and our age of reason, we can explain these things from a scientific point of view. We understand the friction that's going on in the upper atmosphere. We can understand how that can create... Uh, A jolt, a bolt of lightning. We understand it a little bit better. We don't understand it completely, but enough in our mind to kind of explain it away and say, what's a, it's just a natural occurrence. It's a natural thing. Science helps us to explain those things. But it is no less God who, who gives that lightning bolt. And we can explain it away, and it doesn't fear us anymore, and we we look at it in awe, and we should, but that's a demonstration of God's power. And you say, well, that's just nature. Well, that proves my point. Man tends to bring things down to a humanistic level, to a physical level, explain it, and then explain it away. But in doing so, what are we doing? We're explaining away God. We're explaining His glory or giving His glory to something else. We are denying His power. It is God's power at work. Now, another illustration of this might be... We appreciate firemen. Uh, firemen running into a building to save a little, uh, a little child's life. But on the news, when that story may have been uh, uh, told... God doesn't get the credit for that. The fireman gets the credit. Now, granted, we should honor our firemen, and they do deserve the credit that we give them. But at the same time, it's God who saved that little child. But now, on a physical level, we can understand, we can see, oh, the, the fireman rescued him. The fireman just rushed it in, did his job, did what he was uh, maybe commanded to do or told to do, and saved that human life. And we can see that we we pull it down to a human level, but ultimately, who saved that little girl's life, that little child's life? God Himself. We still we tend to steal God's glory and thus deny His power. My wife is telling me um, <clears throat> that there was a video clip on the internet um, of a uh, one of the Harvard professors explaining. <laughs> the internal workings of a cell. And it was a pretty amazing thing, and you watch this uh, half-hour video or whatever, and see the intricacies of a cell, how it works, very much like a city, and all the parts are working together, very intricate fashion. But that Harvard professor does not give any credit to God who created that cell. All of the credit for that inner working goes to the cell and you can actually hear the, the, the professor saying, it's amazing how the cell has produced itself. And we see that and we just think, well, that's ludicrous. But, you know, we tend to do the same thing. We steal the glory away from God and we, we deny His power. And then we say, well, where's God in all of this? When the reality is, is God is the one... In every step of the way that we should be able to see. Amen. When we look at our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is, is, is pointing out. That this is what mankind does. Even in salvation. There's that tendency. To bring salvation down. To a human choice level. And bring it down. And deny the power of God. Give man the glory for which God should get the glory. Man tends to do that in our sinful nature. In our physical world, we tend to think, "Well, oh, this is all that there is," and we exclude God. That is that is wrong thinking. Now, <clears throat> if you would, uh, the some of the uh, things that you need to know about this passage, if you look at chapter one, verse ten, Paul gives us a. Uh, he gives us kind of the point of his, of his uh, letter. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you. What Paul is doing, and there was great division among the church, and he illustrates this. He says, Now I mean this, in verse 12, that each one is saying, I'm of a Paul, or I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. And so there's division among the church, and Paul's saying, These things are not not to be. There should be some unity among you. And then he goes into, in verse 18, he goes into the gospel, the gospel presentation. And it's God's power that is at work in their life. And that, in fact, is a unifying factor in the church. That it is God who is at work in the individual. It is not the, the, the individual pastor or the individual human agent that God is using, but we tend to give the glory to that individual agent that God is using when God himself deserves the credit. But you can see the flow of thought. You can see what Paul, where Paul is going. And by the time he gets to chapter 2, in fact, we read 18 to 31, by the time we get to chapter 2, he's talking about now the way we present the gospel. We have to be very, very careful to not exalt the human agent, but exalt God. Because our tendency is to exalt the human agent, exalt the man, exalt the person, when in reality, it's not the, the person, but it's what he proclaims. It's not the messenger, but it's the message that is important. That's what we see. Now, in Corinthians, uh, Paul went to Second Corinthians in his uh, second missionary or went to Corinthians in his second missionary journey. And uh, he began speaking in the synagogues. There were people that come to know the Lord through his, his preaching, his teaching. Um, but it was a very sinful city. In fact, it would be the sin city of that day. Um, there was the temple of uh, the goddess of love in that uh, Aphrodite, or Aphrodite, Is the goddess of love, and in this temple there was over a thousand temple prostitutes, essentially what they were, and that was part of their worship. And in the evenings, those those ladies would go down into the city. This was their high place, uh, place of worship, and those ladies would go down and offer their services in the city in the evenings. A very wicked place. We would, like I said, it would be the sin city of of that day. A very difficult place to present the gospel. A very cold, spiritually cold, a very spiritually dark place to present the gospel. But that's what Paul did. He goes in, he says in verse 1, and when I came to you, Paul actually went to them as a missionary. Now, let me kind of sum up what Paul is saying here. Here's the point. This is what Paul is getting at. When believers are proclaiming the message of the gospel, we must be careful not to impress or manipulate people to a phony conversion in which God's power is robbed, robbing God of His power, or really denying the power of God. Now, the question then is, how do we do that? How can we, how can we witness? How can we build a church Not based upon man, but based upon the power of God. That's what we want, right? That's what we want for Daniel's Bible Church. Now, we can go in and and using using the logic of the world and discover what people want and create a church and invite people to come that people love, we can do that. But Christ himself said, I will build my church. So how is it, how can God then use the human agent to come in to an area like Corinth and build His church and de-emphasize the human element and at the same time exalt the power of God? Allow the glory of God to be demonstrated. Well, Paul gives us that. That was Paul's concern Um. In fact, let's look at Paul's goal. Here's Paul's goal. Here's Paul. What Paul wanted to accomplish is very clear. He says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with uh, superiority of speech, but he says, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So that gives us an idea of what Paul was trying to do. He was proclaiming them the message of God. It was God's message. It was God's testimony. It was a testimony of God. Paul was just a witness of that testimony. He was just testifying, here's what God does. Now, look at his method here. Um, But I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear, and in fear much trembling. Verse 4, and my message and my preaching... We're not with persuasive words. He had two ways of communicating. And that was through a message. And that was through just preaching. It was the preaching of the word. That's what Paul was exalting. It wasn't the messenger at all. Don't follow me, Paul says. Follow Christ. Take the message. That's the power of God. That's what's going to change your life. So Paul emphasized that. And that was an emphasis throughout Paul's ministry. Paul's goal in evangelism was just simply to get the Word of God out into the hearts of people. And that was through the ear gate. That is through the words that he used. Now, verse 5, we see what his goal was. So that your faith would not rest on wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Ultimately, what Paul wanted is an authentic church, is a real church in which God's power is demonstrated, in which God has worked in people's lives. Paul didn't go in with some tricks and, and some, some skilled thinking and, and, uh, and contrive these things to build this church. Now he wanted to see the power of God working in people's lives. He wanted to see an authentic church to come about. Look at look at verse seventeen. Go back to chapter one and verse seventeen. Look what what Paul says here. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Now they're getting this whole baptism thing out of whack and saying, "Well, I was baptized of Paul. I was baptized of uh, Peter. I was baptized of Apollos. Well, I was baptized of Christ." You could hear the pride in that. And Paul is saying, "I'm glad that I didn't even baptize. Christ didn't call us to baptize. He called us to preach." But to preach the gospel, listen what he says, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. If it is is based upon Paul, he said, your salvation is going to be nothing. It's going to be wasted. It's not going to be authentic. It's not going to be real. Now, this was consistent throughout Paul's ministry. The emphasis was always on the message, not the messenger. Not the person, but what he proclaimed in First Corinthians. Uh, yeah, actually, you're in chapter three of First Corinthians. He says, "I planted, Apollos watered. This is the human element, but it was God who causes the growth. Isn't that great? God uses the human agent. We we can't get around that. He uses us. That's a good thing." What we must do is have the attitude of John John the Baptist, who said, I must decrease and he must increase. What we proclaim, that's a demonstration of the power of God when it begins to work in people's lives. That's why then when Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, he's told Timothy, he said, Timothy, now I want you to preach the word. That's what's going to change people's lives, Timothy. Don't be clever. Don't get uh, all of these things going and all of these plates spinning in the air and try to create this wonderful church. He says, you just preach the word. You be faithful to preach the word. He says, until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he said, preach the word we don't preach our opinion at Daniel's Bible Church. We don't preach the, the latest politics or the latest philosophy or psychology. We preach the word here. And that's a tedious thing. That that changes what we do up here in a, in a great way. Our sermons have to become content oriented. We have to, we have to dig into the word. We have to pull out the word. That's tedious. That's not necessarily fun to hear or easy on the ears. But it's what's necessary. It's what we're told to do. Why? Why are we told to do that? Because this is the power. This is the change agent. Not the person. Not the messenger. The message. That's Paul's, that was Paul's whole mindset. Now, Paul then gives us, so we understand Paul's goal. It was to come in to preach the word, to, to do so in such a way that uh, men, men's wisdom are not, is not exalted, but God's power is demonstrated. Right? We understand that. We can see in verse 5. That's clear. Now, how does that, how do we do that? How do you do that? When we dismiss here, you go out into the community, how do you go and present the gospel in such a way that it's, that people's not following you, but people are responding to the message, demonstrating then the power of God, giving all of the glory to God. In fact, let's look back. I mean, I want to remind you, there's one more verse, chapter one, verse 29. So that no man may boast before God that's the point God's power is being displayed God's power is being um, demonstrated but what happens is in our minds we just contribute it to the human element therefore we take away the glory of God and deny the power of God do you see that? do you understand that? It's, it's human nature that we do that now then, when presented the gospel, what do we do? How do we build the church? How do we evangelize, with, um, with, uh, without the human element, human agent being so predominant? Number one, number one. Here's what Paul did. Here's, and we'll just move through these quickly. I've got five points. Here's the way Paul approached evangelism. Here's what he did. Verse number 1. And when I came to you... Now notice, he's the one doing the going. He's going to them. When I came, He's not building a church and inviting everybody in. That's our tendency today. Well, let's build this big building and invite everybody to come in. The idea is that you go out. He said, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech. Or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Here's point number one. Paul did not try to impress people with his own intelligence. If you want people to follow you, then you go in and you promote yourself. Promote how smart you are and your intelligence. But Paul didn't do that. Why? Because it's going to deny God his power. It's going to exalt the human element. Paul says I don't want to exalt the human element I don't want to impress you with my superior speech my wisdom so Paul Paul tried to avoid those things this idea this word superior of speech is the idea of to project now we have a we have a projector that projects things onto the wall and uh, in this projection, it's, it's not really there. You know that, right? <laughs> if you turn this off, there would just be a white screen. It's just projected. The, the idea is it's, it's something that's bigger than it really is. It's, it's superficial. It's, a, um, it's, it's pompous, we might say. Pompous speech. Um, It's a place of preeminence. It's a place of of, uh, false authority. It's high-sounding words. That's a good translation. High-sounding words. Something that's kind of bigger than life. Bigger than what it is. And the emphasis is on the intellect. The intelligence. When Paul goes into a culture, when he goes into a, a community, it wasn't about his own intelligence. He just... Simply brought the message. He said, proclaiming the testimony of God. Now, we um, we see this characteristic of false professor, false teachers. He said that Paul, uh, or in Second Corinthians, Paul described these as um, they they they're personal. Uh, uh, they go in with smooth, flattering speech. Paul says these these false apostles. False teachers and they deceive the hearts of men. He says this in Romans. What was said about Paul? Well, the Corinthians themselves apparently did not like the way Paul looked and the way he sounded. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10 he says, "For they say this letter his letters are, are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. That's what they said about Paul himself. What are they doing? They're evaluating that that human agent and bypassing what the message is. The message. Paul says uh, in response to that in the next chapter, he says, But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. That's where that message resides. I've got a message for you and it's it it comes from god and it will change your life get past the human element moses moses when uh, god asked moses moses come i want you to go and i want you to lead my people moses said i'm not i'm not eloquent in speech in fact he says i'm slow in speech slow of tongue he said jeremiah jeremiah when god told jeremiah get up and I want you to speak. Jeremiah says, I am young. I do not know how to speak. And God says, Get over it. Don't let your youth become an excuse. Essentially. He says, Do not even say, I'm young. Because wherever I send you, You will go. Because it's not about the human element. It's about the power of God. And... Uh, Paul said, "As far as my speech is concerned, as far as my words are concerned, and as far as my wisdom is concerned, my skill skill level, I did not try to impress you. I did not come with you or come to you with superiority of speech. I didn't come to impress you with my intellect. Now, how do we apply that? I can't imagine people trying to present the gospel and, and try to promote self at the same time. It's inconsistent, isn't it? It just is it's either the gospel or the person and you're you're going to elevate one over the other and it has to be the gospel but i was trying to come up with a practical application for you and i was talking to my wife about this now this is here's what she says she said uh tell them don't expect that from your pastor don't expect that from your pastor don't expect superiority of speech Don't expect superiority of philosophy and intellect. It's just not going to happen. Now that hurts coming from your wife. But she meant it in the kindest, gentlest way possible. But you know what? She's right. That's not where the power is. It's not in the human agent. The power is in the message that we proclaim... That's why I stick so closely, I try to stick so closely with this Word. It's this Word that's going to change lives. Look at what Paul does next. Number two, Paul makes Christ his focus. Verse number two, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, there's no no doubt that Paul preached the whole counsel of God. That was his recommendation. We preach the whole counsel of God but the whole counsel of God focuses around Christ. If the gospel is the power, it's Christ that is, that's the ignition of that power. That's the, that's, that's what explodes. It's, it's Christ. He has to be exalted. He said, I determined to know nothing among you. And that was a A purposeful, deliberate decision Based upon his judgment and evaluation How can I best impact these people And it's going to be through the message of Jesus Christ alone And that was Paul's strategy It's a very simple strategy I'm just going to go in and preach Christ Is that going to work? That's a strange way to build a church Yeah, it is But it's not going to be a human church. It's going to be a supernatural church. It's going to be a church of Jesus Christ. Based upon His power. Therefore, He gets the glory. That's a very simple way to to approach things, Paul. Just go in and preach Christ. Yes, that's that's what we do. That's what we do. He, um, He says elsewhere... Now, this is the preaching of the gospel, but if we look in Philippians chapter 3, he says, More than that, I count all things to, to be lost in view of the superiority or the, the surpassing value of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ May be found in him, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. It's through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him, listen, and the power of his resurrection. The power is right there, it's in Christ. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, it's it's going to be through Christ. And by way of application, if you want that power, it's going to be your surrendering to Christ. It's going to be a humble repentance before Him. Recognizing your own sinfulness. And coming to Him in faith. And turning to Him with your life That's the power of God. That's the power of God. How do we apply this? How do we apply this? When we go out to evangelize, what do we emphasize? Um, We have many answers for the world. The world needs what we have. We know how to raise children because the Bible tells us how to do that. We know how to handle our finances. The Bible tells us those. He gives us those answers. We know how to have good, healthy marriages. Because the Bible tells us that. Now when we go into a place and and all we do is teach them how to have good marriages. Or teach them how to raise their children. Or teach them how to handle their finances. What have we done? We've missed the mark we've missed what we need to be doing the power agent is through christ our focus has to be christ we preached christ now we have some answers for the world but i tell you frankly those answers are not going to work apart from christ they they work in your your life because you have christ because you've added christ to their to your life let me give you another one though this, one, this one's kind of controversial, but let me just put it out there. Money. Money is not the gospel. We can give money and we should give money. But the world doesn't need more money. Poor people, really, they don't need money. They need the gospel. And we can come alongside, and we can help, and, and we can show them how to get water in Africa. We can show them how to farm in Africa. But frankly, that's a side note. The gospel is the power. That's what's going to change lives. So we need to keep that in mind when we're evangelizing. Number three, Paul understood the seriousness, the soberness. You can fill in many other Ideas in there, but it's the soberness, seriousness of proclaiming the gospel. Look at verse 3. When I came to you, he says, "I, I I was with you in fear and in trembling. Fear and in trembling. When Paul came to Corinth, by that time he had already been in prison in Philippi. He had been run out of Thessalonica. And he was ridiculed and mocked in Athens. And then he goes... In, uh, into Corinth, and the whole time the Jews were after him, he was afraid of his lo- for his life, they were coming after him. He knew it was just a matter of time they would catch up with him in Corinth and they do. but he he comes with them, he comes to them because this is essential. This is so important. the gospel must be proclaimed. These people must hear. This is a serious message. And we don't want to fool around with it. We, we, uh, we present that message with fear and trembling. with in weakness, Paul says. And weakness probably because he's been beaten so many times. Weakness and fear and trembling. And I, I don't believe this fear is a fear of man so much as fear of what he has been entrusted with. This gospel, Lord, help me to to present it in the right way. I think that's what Paul is saying here. In fact, turn over to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 gives us the, the record of when Paul went to Corinth. And um, chapter 18, verse... In verse six, and this is this is talking about. Uh, well, actually, let me skip down to verse nine. And the Lord said to Paul. Now, this is this is Paul. He had preached. There was one, or, or there was a few that had come to know the Lord. Crippus uh, was a, a leader in verse eight. Crippus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, and all of his household. So there's a few people that were believing, a few people that were coming to Christ. In verse 9, though, here's what happened. The Lord said to Paul at night by vision, by vision, do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you. Paul is Paul is. Pulling back. And God says, you don't stop preaching this message. You don't be afraid. But you know what? The tendency, and it's a good tendency, is to respect this message so much that we're cautious. How is this going to be accepted? What are they going to say? And Christ Tells Paul, you go out and you speak, you continue to speak with boldness. This message resounded with Paul. And he, he spreads this to, to Timothy. When he talks to Timothy and to Titus, he tells them to speak with boldness. And we see this characteristic becomes a characteristic of Paul's ministry. His boldness. If we look over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, I want you to pray for me, brother, and this is Paul, on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in, in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of Christ. He says, pray for me. And the area in which you need to pray for me is just boldness. Boldness. We all need that, don't we? Now, it's it's boldness. It's not a fear of man, but it's a... It's a uh, A seriousness about the message that we hold. Why? Because it's a powerful message. It can change a life. It can mess things up in a culture to the point that people are ready to kill you. That's what they were ready to do with Paul. And and Paul, do I stop? Do I pull back? Because this message is so powerful that things happen when I preach this message. People get angry when I preach this message. Christ says, you don't pull back. You keep preaching this message with boldness. This this message that we have is a powerful message. It needs to be unleashed. It It needs to be let out. How do we let out the gospel? We proclaim it. How do we let uh, unleash the word of God? We read it and explain it if it needs expl- explanation. We unleash it in people's minds. That way, that's what we do. It has power. Paul was not timid. He had to be aggressive. This is, remember, Sin City. This is the worst of places. Paul's going right into the lion's den. He's going to preach the gospel right there. A very difficult place. Paul's deep concern was that this message that he was presenting would be important to them. And it was an urgency. There was a boldness that came from that. Number four. We have two more. Number four, here's what Paul did. The, the fourth thing was in verse four. He said, And my message and my preaching, now that's Paul's methodology, was through preaching and through this message. He says, My method, message and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. Now, is he just repeating what he said in verse one? Well, there's a little bit of difference. He uses a little bit different word for Here. Says they weren't with persuasive words. The first time he uses this, and he's talking about superiority of speech, is talking about those who are impressed with him, impressed maybe with his intellect. But he's using the word persuasive here, and persuade is a good translation. To persuade someone, to seduce them. It's in a, actually a corrupt manner. Um, to to convince them or to put pressure on them. And the idea is this great emotional appeal. This is I wanted the power of God to be seen, not my own coercion, not my own persuasive ability. Now, this was very common in, the, um, in Paul's day. They the Greeks would love to hear speeches. Because they would evaluate speeches and how that person could stand up and motivate the crowd or manipulate the crowd and move the crowd and persuade the crowd of his own opinion. And when Paul comes, he says, now, I didn't try to do that. That was not what I did. If there was any change in your life, any power demonstrated, it was not because of me changing your emotions and that's superficial at best. It was not Paul's antics. It was not Paul's theatrics. His technique was not emotional appeal. Why? Because that cheapens the gospel. What does that say about the word that we're proclaiming? Well, it has to have a little bit of help here. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it flashy. I'm going to make it, I'm going to do this and look at this and, and wow. And manipulate people. You don't have to do that. You unleash the gospel. It doesn't it's not about you. Well, Paul's thoughts were that I'm going to go in, I'm going to proclaim, and I'm going to preach, and it's not going to be of my own persuasive words of wisdom. It's going to be in demonstration of the power of God. If God is going to change, he's going to have to change. It's not going to be my persuasive skills. My persuasive abilities. Number five. We'll close with this. Another thing that Paul does is he empties himself. He empties himself and allows God's power to be demonstrated. In fact, that's what you really see. But look at verse... The end of verse four. But in demonstration of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. Now we've been talking about the Spirit being Spirit-controlled. And what has to happen for the Spirit to control you? You empty yourself, don't you? You allow the Spirit to work in your life. And that's, that's devaluating, devaluating self and promoting God in your life. And it's under God's control and His Word. And that's what Paul was doing. And that was the demonstration of the power of God that's what worked that's where people's lives begin to change this this power this power that is mentioned in verse 5 here and in verse 4 is not some just mere strength or or might but it's actually a supernatural power it's actually a miraculous power in Romans chapter 15 Listen to this verse, in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's where God grips your heart. That's where God works. He takes this message from this... Fallible human being this person. that's it's just weak and trembling He takes this message and ignites a flame in a person's heart and that that can only be the power of God in a person's life That's on display Verse 5 so that so that your faith may not rest in the human or in the wisdom of man but in the power of God we want a church here at Daniel's Bible Church that's this kind of church. That's a demonstration of God's power in each individual life. That's a real church. That's a, an authentic church. That God has gripped you. You are motivated by the power of God. And just like Paul, we have to devaluate self. We have to... He must increase, we must decrease. It's not about the human agent. When we preach, don't make it. When you you proclaim the Word of God, this week, when you go out in your workplace, in this neighborhood, when you're proclaiming the Word of God, don't make it about the human agent. You speak up with boldness, and you proclaim Christ and Him crucified. That was, God's, that was Paul's focus. It says, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I tell you, if we want to see the power of God, it is not going to be through the antics of the things that we see on TV, of just spectacular things happening here and there. You know what I'm talking about. It's going to be right here. It's going to be through the messes that we proclaim. Through weakness. Through weakness. God's power is demonstrated so that He gets the glory. Not the human agent. If you look at chapter 1 and chapter 2, I mean, that's of that's, uh, 1 Corinthians, that's the emphasis. It's not the human agent. It's the power of God being displayed demonstrated in your life in my life and ultimately in the life of daniel's bible church and in this community so that people will say there's something going on there and we can say you know what it's not let me tell you it's not the preaching it's not the messenger it's not the one who gets up here i don't know what it is it's just this it's just this word that goes out that's that's our answer if there's anything going on at Daniel's Bible Church, it's because the message proclaimed, not the messengers. We're all fallible. We're all weak. We, we all tremble. We all fall short. We will never measure up. But I tell you, the Word of God is powerful instead. It is powerful anyway. That's the message that we preach. Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> there's much more that needs to be said here. Lord, we just pull these things. Uh, Hopefully, they will resonate in our heart and our mind. Hopefully, they will stick. And we will will model our evangelism after Paul. And, And going in with weakness. Knowing that in our weakness, you are strong going in with fear, not fear of man, but fear of, of, of you and, and the reverence for your word and trembling. Lord, at the message that has the power to change people's lives. Lord, help us not to be impressive to people just for the sake of being impressive. But help us to be impressive with the power of the gospel of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.